Hi, my name's Adam, and this is the Foster Adoption Podcast, a resource for people who are interested in growing their family by adopting children from foster care. I am the absolute worst. Seriously. The key to a successful podcast is consistency. You are supposed to release episodes on a regular schedule. So I'm terribly sorry it takes me so, so long to put together a new episode these days. Life just seems to get in the way, and to be perfectly honest, some days parenting is just hard, and it's tough to fill up to podcasting. However, I'm so grateful for all the emails and Facebook messages, and especially the iTunes reviews. Every time we get a nice message, it is a good reminder that we need to do an episode. So eventually, I promise I will learn. Anyway, do you want to hear a quintessential story about how cray the foster system can be? I give you our educational rights story. So, educational rights are important because their holder has the power to make important educational decisions. In the foster care world, they are important because if a child enters foster care, the foster parents shouldn't be able to make significant changes to the child's educational path if the child is going to reunify with their birth family. So even though that child is in a foster home, the birth parents still have to sign off on an individualized education plan or an IEP or any major educational decisions. That's great. Very smart stuff. So what happens when the plan isn't for the child to reunify? Well, for us, it was bizarre. Our boys were in one foster home before us. They were there for a good amount of time, enough time for the foster parents to become holders of educational rights in addition to the birth mom. So on important education decisions, either the birth mom or the foster parents could sign the forms. Great. Here's the deal. I work at a major university and Matt is an educator. We are big on education and we place school pretty high on the priority list. So when we met the boys for the first time, it was obvious that one of the very first things we would need to do was put the three-year-old into speech services. He was basically nonverbal. He only spoke about 15 to 20 words in either English or Spanish, and he had serious articulation issues. He was already so far behind that it became our top priority to try and get him caught up. We started to research what we needed to do well before the boys moved in so we could get started immediately. If only our urgency was shared by, well, you know, anyone, anyone at all. We asked for education rights from the very beginning, and we were rightly told that they weren't going to give them to us so soon, so we would need the birth mom to sign the request for a speech assessment. The problem was that we didn't have any contact with the birth mom in the beginning, so... Then the social worker said that the previous foster parents could sign. Huh? The previous foster parents? Still boggles my mind that we had to go get the boys' previous foster parents, who have absolutely no legal connection to the boys, to sign a request for a speech assessment. But we did. We were able to get it signed. Great. The speech assessment went well. In our state, at the age of three, you can have a child tested at your local school district for free, and they can get services if they qualify. Our three-year-old qualified for speech services, and they wanted to start right away. Sweet. 
except we needed one more signature for him to start getting services. We went back to the foster parents, but by this time, their foster family agency had advised them that it was a liability to be signing official documents for children who were no longer in their care. Yup, I agree. I was frustrated, but I agree. It's crazy that they were signing forms for us. So, we went back to our county social worker and said, we need educational rights. She asked, why don't we just have the birth mom sign? Which was a very frustrating question for the county social worker to be asking because she should have known that by this time we had just the one visit and that was it and there were no plans for another visit to occur. Plus, we didn't understand this because there was a lot of importance placed on the birth family not knowing where we lived for safety stake. But if we had her sign this document, she would know exactly the school district and the school name and everything that we were going to, as well as all of our information. So it wasn't an option for birth mom to sign. But we wanted educational rights. Our agency worker and our county adoption worker were convinced that all that is needed is for the county worker to walk it on to court, which just means that they put it in the official docket for a judge to decide on, which is usually a quick process is what we were led to believe. Our county worker disagreed. She said the boy's lawyer needed to walk it on to court. We talked to the boy's lawyer who asked why the birth family wasn't signing off. It's frustrating that nobody seemed to know what was going on with our case, but we explained, and he said, okay, we'll just have the county worker walk it on a court. She wouldn't. She needed her supervisor to do it. Her supervisor thought that since we had a court date in the next month, it should just happen then in court. It felt like people were just really working hard to not solve the problem and just pass it on to the next person. So we waited a month with no speech services because we couldn't sign a form. We have poor inefficiency and illogical situations, and this was just a prime example of both. Luckily, our speech department was wonderful, and they gave us lots of homework and strategies that we could do with them at home to try to get them started on the process of catching up. But I was just i was so confused as to why no one in the system seemed to care that this little boy was so behind in speech and the bureaucracy was preventing him from catching up. Our county workers seemed to not care at all about the situation, seemed annoyed whenever we brought it up. Whenever she would tell us in the abstract about other cases, though, we understood why. Our boys had a safe home. They were far from the priority list compared to what other cases they were going through. Still, it was our job to fight for our son. So we waited for court. Court is basically going to be a separate episode or five episodes or a series of movies, so I won't get into it now. But basically, our, in our first court appearance, the judge didn't give us educational rights, and she said no one could determine educational rights until the next court date, which was over the summer. That meant that we met the boys in December. We started investigating speech services in January. We had a speech assessment in February, and we now had to wait till July to find out if we could legally sign the form to start services in late August. Eight 
months to sign one form. In July, we were granted educational rights, so we immediately signed the form and got set up for speech services. And he did great. He learned a lot. He's now to average speech level. He tested out of speech. The system worked. It just took a mind-boggling amount of time to get there. Thank you very much for listening. And I promise the next episode is right around the corner this time. And sit down for a while because it's intense. It's about court. Thanks so much for listening. Music